Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, a podcast where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to your ancestors, to yourself, and in community. This week's episode is a conversation with Eliza Reynolds of Badass Girls. And Eliza is a best-selling author, speaker, workshop facilitator, and professional mentor for preteen and teen girls. She's trained with Planned Parenthood, was a consultant for Eve Ensler's book for teenage girls, I Am an Emotional Creature, and co-author of a best-selling book with her mom, Mothering and Daughtering, Keeping Your Bond Strong Through the Teen Years. Eliza is someone I have been connected to through mutual friends for some time, and she asked me to speak to her mentorship group of teen girls about belonging and ancestry and connection to the earth and to our cycles. And I did that last fall, and I was just blown away by how real and how comfortable Eliza is talking to preteen and teen girls about the very real experiences of that time in a person's life. And so I asked her to come on to Belonging to share with us whether or not you're a parent of a teen girl or an aunt or a grandmother or a neighbor, or you just want to reflect on your teenage experience, the reality is even though we all live behind the closed doors of our own homes, if you're here listening to this podcast, part of you really wants to re-village or come back into community with each other. And so Eliza and I talk about the importance of a teen having that village, that support around her and it not just falling upon the parent because that's too much of a burden to bear. And so that's your role in this conversation, should you continue to listen, is to be more aware of how we can positively support the teens that are the next generation coming up in this world. So 
We talk about periods because that's a big part of becoming a woman, becoming an adult is that time period when you get your period and that leads very much into the patriarchy, sex and desire. We talk about how Eliza approaches self-pleasure, masturbation, and how that's actually a really important gateway to making sex feel safe and talking about consent and really coming from this sex positive angle, which really for me felt like, wow, yes, totally. And how we can support our teens, the teens of our community, the teens of our world emotionally and spiritually and she's really about busting this, this myth, this cultural stereotype that teen girls are selfish, mean, vapid, image-obsessed, always on their phones, and really calls us out as adults, like, aren't you always on your phone too? And like, this is, this is a society-wide thing. And what these teens are experiencing has been a part of the human experience since the beginning of humanity. And so how can we come back into this place of reverence and honoring of our teens in a way that's healing for us and our own teen wounds and also honoring of where they are in their lives? So you'll hear throughout the interview, I'm having these like flashbacks where I'm like having to share some stories, which I'm sure will come up for you. You'll remember these moments, maybe they're cringy from your teenage years that have informed maybe the way you look at the teenage experience And Eliza is here to remind us that teens are big hearted and tender and fierce and whole, beautiful, sensual beings, and that we can show up for them in better ways than maybe we were shown up for, or our parents were shown up for, or our grandparents were shown up for. It's a really beautiful conversation, and Eliza has potent words to share. I very much could listen to her speak for hours. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Eliza Reynolds. At the time where we most need to go within, um, we are saying new year, new you, sign up for that diet and hustle. And unsurprisingly, right, anxiety skyrocks, suicidality skyrockets, you know, and we're like, hmm, I wonder why. (laughs) And I don't wonder why, you know, it's it's broken and it's heartbreaking. And then we see the same thing mirrored in the menstrual cycle, right, where we're told periods are gross and girls then experience, oh, like my, my period's gross, right? And this rejection of the inner life which we need. I mean, it's the connection to soul. It's connection to essence. It's the connection to home. Anyways, it's part of why whenever I'm teaching teens in the winter, it just, it comes up so deep and so big. My gosh. I'm remembering, I had just like really intense college application anxiety. Yep. (laughs) Like it was my world. And I remember that was like my whole winter for a couple years. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my God, spring means I need to know and who am I and will I be accepted and loved? And so yeah, I've got a lot of girls in that hustle right now. And I just feel like, you know, my job is to get them to laugh about it. You know, I'm like, I just sit here being like, can we again and again laugh at what a funny joke this is? While also, of course, talking about (laughs) how deeply problematic it is. And I'll just be like, all right, remember, 
nothing to do with your worthiness, nothing to do with your value. Adults, perhaps including your parents, definitely most of your teachers are going to lose their shit around this for the next two years, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to lose their center, which is really hard when you're – because like what question does every teen get asked? You know, at the holidays, it's like almost becomes a – Pro tip for adults listening in, stop asking the teens what college they're going to and what college they want to go to. Everyone is asking them, even if it feels like a zone of, you know, I I have compassion for it. It feels comforting. It's like, oh, wow, I went to college or considered going to college. And like, this is a structured question I can ask. But like, they are regurgitating the same answer that they've had to prime. It's exhausting. Actually, get to know them, (laughs) you know, and the college thing is not the way in. But like every adult, around them loses their center. And so I feel like my job and any loving adult, should you choose to accept the challenge, is to laugh with teens about how ridiculous the college thing is. Remind them of their worthiness outside of their grades, outside of their list of acceptances. And, you know, I basically just say like, listen, college is another container. You're going to continue the same amazing growth of being you. And there's so many wonderful colleges. They're all so lucky to have you. They're lost if you don't go to them, you know, onwards, mm-hmm. right? And of course, I have lots of thoughts about the school system. <laughs> Intentionally, yeah. I, I work outside of it. <laughs> because, you know, I get asked to come in and teach so many like body image, sex ed. And, and I have at times, of course, but I really no longer do at all because most teens and preteens that I work with already experience school as a a place uh, where it is unsafe to be vulnerable and unsafe to be real. And so I cannot in an hour or two hour long seminar come in and make them feel safe. I can't change that, right? That's a culture change that needs to shift. And so it's just, you know, then even make the content that I'm talking about accessible. Uh, You want me to come in and talk about like (laughs) the intimacy of like your uterus right now? you know, in a place that already sends off all the lack of safety triggers. No, no. So that's one of the many reasons I teach outside of schools. Yeah. So smart. Okay. Well, I hit record, obviously. So I was like, this is too good. good. We were like catching up and I was like, I'm just going to hit record. (laughs) Thank you for rolling with it. Totally. And I'm so happy that you're joining Belonging Mm -hmm. today because I was clued into your work over the last year and you asked me to speak to your group of teens and preteens or was I just speaking to the teens? Teens. My teens. Well, they're 13 to 17. So, you know, it's a pretty broad range. Yeah. (laughs) Early teen to late teen. Yeah. About ancestral connection. And um, that was so cool. And I was (laughs) just blown away by you and and your work and your empathy for the teenage girl experience. And it's something I think a lot of us who are listening can just like easily tap into. Like that's such a tender time. It's it's so porous. It's so formative. There's just a lot going on in those times. A lot of it trauma can yeah. originate in those times and it informs a lot of our life, particularly our relationships with women. Mm-hmm. And um our feelings about our own self-worth. And so I want to talk about that more. So whether you're a mom listening of a girl or an aunt or just tuning into your own girl self, I think this is such an important conversation because what I love about your bio 
is you talk about how you really want to banish these stereotypes about teenage girls, particularly right now. Are they technically Gen Z? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I actually don't know what their name is. <laughs> Do they have this generation that's like always on their phones and just like so vapid totally. and yep. cutting and just like whatever. They all worship Billie Eilish, which is like, I'm into Billie Eilish, you know, or whatever. Yeah. They're just like weird and they're eating Tide Pods and no one understands. And it's like, <laughs> and you're just like, no, actually, we were all this once and there's a lot here to work with. So maybe we can yeah. start there. You yes, can talk please. about these, stere- these stereotypes that teenage girls have and and what you found to be true. Yeah. I'm so over the stereotypes of teenage girls. And let's just, if you're listening in and, and Becca too, you know, dropping in for a sec to remember or notice around you, what were the stories that you were told about yourself as a teenage girl? And what are the stories that you hear or see told around you about teenage girls now? Maybe you think about the TV shows you watched when you were younger or the music or uh, what was said about that older girl on your street. And then what's around us now? I mean, it is pretty specific and consistent. You know, I remember being (laughs) turning 13 and being congratulated by a neighbor down the street, like, congratulations. Now you can slam the door in your parents' face and roll your eyes. And, you know, my mom told me years later that when I was about 13 or 14, she was in a grocery store and she ran into an acquaintance, not a close friend. (laughs) They were catching up and the acquaintance turns to my mom and goes, wow, you have a teenage girl, don't you? Oh, I'm so sorry. How's it going? Mm -hmm. Right? Like I was something you had to survive. And like, you know, kind of like a a bad pet or a disease. Like, oh no, you'll you'll get to the other side. And this is our story we have about teenage girls is they're they're selfish, they're vain, they're mean, cruel, image obsessed, easily distracted, numbed out, tech obsessed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And my actual lived experience of teenage girls is so different. (laughs) And I invite you to also notice your lived experience of teenage girls as well as yourself. My experience is that they are actually fiercely loyal, incredibly tender, soft, passionate, loud, feisty, fierce, (laughs) and paradoxical complicated, mercurial, like a force of nature, that teenage girls actually, they care so much, like their hearts are so big that it's sometimes so overwhelming that like, yeah, they do need to numb out a little bit and watch Netflix and chill. (laughs) <laughs> like any of us in like this world. we're doing too. Yeah. Exactly, right? So so many folks are like, oh, they're t- they're tech uh, obsessed and addicted. Are you not? <laughs> you know, right? So we start to tell uh, what I see again and again is the stories that we tell, right? They shape culture, they shape reality, they shape how we see ourselves. And we need to tell a better and more true story to invite teens and teen girls specifically to see themselves mirrored in our words and our love and the container we hold. You know, my experience is that we talk about inner child work a lot, right? But do we often talk about inner 
teen work. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of what I do. I just happen to do it with teens in real time. And sometimes I do it with adults as well. That you mentioned that there's a lot, there can be a lot of trauma and you know from our experience of the teenage years whether it be about uh, our relationship to sexuality sex intimacy body image um, friendships sisterhood family belonging right speaking you know <laughs> of course as Becca and I have talked about when I interviewed Becca my first year long you know I run a nine-month program for teenage girls and the first year the whole theme is belonging right mm-hmm. so I feel very excited to be on a podcast talking about belonging which is like my favorite topic ever, because I think it's this core nutrient we need, this essential nourishment. And so many of us didn't have it. And so anyways, the inner teen work, right? And I say this also because many folks listening aren't teens, but perhaps even as we we begin to talk about the teenage years, you can like feel back palpably and maybe the feeling isn't very comfortable to your own tender confused. And those are some words that come up for me in my experience of being a teen because the teenage years is an initiation. All right. It is an initiation into sensuality, into our sexual selves, into our own emergence, often into the shadow side of emotions, right? Into working with grief, anger, seeing past illusions of friendships, of people who were adults, right? And And we live in a culture, right? Becca, I think we were talking about this maybe when you first started recording and before we were recording, that this whole other half of the cycle, whether it be like the dark phase of the moon, the winter, the the times that we go more inner, the menstrual or luteal phases of the cycle, we are uncomfortable with the quote unquote negative emotions that we don't want to look at the shadow and the teen years brings so much of that up. So if Mm -hmm. you are raising a teen or relating to a teen, (laughs) I can lovingly promise they will give you the gift of initiating you into your shadow as you parent them, as you love them. And I think that's good news. Hmm. Yeah, I think, right, an opportunity to heal our own inner teen experience by being with the teen in front of us. It's an instigating energy. It's a catalyzing button pushing energy. And it is something I lovingly work with every day, finding my own center, my solidness, my container to support them in their journey, but not take the ride with them. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I can't help but go back to my teenage years. And I mean, which is what you're guiding us to do and think about that really was a time when I really intensely felt a lack of belonging. Like I really felt like I'm, I recently interviewed um, Hillary Canavy about. um, I love her work so much. Okay. She is (laughs) the coolest. Hi, Hillary. I love you. (laughs) She's the greatest. Yeah. And we were talking about um, food, body, desire, hunger, fat phobia. And I was like, and during the interview, I was like, oh my gosh, I am right now 11 years old playing trombone in the band, looking at my thighs and watching the stretch marks just bloom across the year. And then... Mm. And then I am um, getting my period in class and feeling so, so, so embarrassed about like bleeding all over this seat. 
And then, you know, a girl sees it and she laughs at me and I just feel even worse. And then I, and then I'm, I'm growing body hair, but my mom won't let me shave yet. So I'm secretly using my brother's razor to shave. And then he catches me and I feel shame, shame, shame. And so mm-hmm. it's like really interesting journey. I can just go through of what it means to be a teen in this time. And yeah. so I'd love to know, I guess like I had questions about like, what's the modern teen like? And I'm wondering like, is it the same? Is it just like the same or is there like a new generation? You know, there's conversations about um, gender not being, the binary not being so present. And is there yeah. any, like, what What do you think about that with, with is, is it still the same stuff? Um, I think it's a lot of the same stuff. I think some parts are, are the essential core of the experience, right? These urgent questions, who am I? Where do I belong? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? Where am I safe? Who loves me? Mm-hmm. And these are intense questions to be asking when you are in such an intense, like active alchemy process. I mean, that's puberty, right? Like, <laughs> yes, whatever age we are, we're going to go through seasons and cycles of our bodies. But the teenage years, oh my God, in two months, <laughs> right? Like I got my period when I was 14. I was like, my best friend got it when she was 11 and I was just like counting down. I wanted to be part of the secret club that went into the bathroom with tampons. I just didn't really know yeah. much about it other than please let me into that cool club I know, where we can complain about cramps together. That was really seemed like what the club was about. Yeah. <laughs> complain about cramps. Um, permission to complain. That's about I understood about the period. <laughs> and so I got my period and then my over the next 3 months my body dramatically shifted. I went from being a tall, skinny, gawky, big-haired, big-footed, you know, cultish sweetheart of a girl's body to my I'm like 5'11", so my body was just shooting up as I was growing 4 inches a year. It was just like as fast Ooh. as I could. Yeah, it was intense. And then my body suddenly reached height and started working outwards. And it was like, in three months, I had to buy an completely new wardrobe. I fit into literally nothing of my clothes. I had purple stretch marks all over my body. I'd been so excited for like, oh my God, I'm going to quote unquote, get boobs. I'm going to get a butt, right? Like we don't have them, you know, don't have a butt. I'm going to get a butt. That was the concept. Mm. And then all of a sudden there was fat in all the places there I didn't think there were supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. I had a belly, thighs, and I had stretch marks on the backs of my calves. Like that's how much it was like, whoop, just like expansion. So that's the kind of alchemy, whatever foreign I'm talking about, where it is so intense to be reckoning with body image while you are transmuting and transforming quite literally in front of yourself, you know, like you're in a state of constant change. So to me, the teenage years are falling in love with change. Can you roll with change in the present? So to answer your question, there's there are these core essentials. And honestly, around the conversations around, you know, gender, non-binary, uh, which of course I work with so much and it's such an honor um, to continue to work with is I think we're just talking about it now. It's always existed, right? There's always been 
non-binary individuals, there's always been gender as a construct, as a spectrum. Just and like sexuality too. Exactly, right? Yeah, it's queerness and all of its magical, beautiful forms has always existed. And as I know you talk about too, Becca, as a, as a product of colonialism and white supremacy, we have grown up often thinking with the illusion, with the lie that like, there's only two, there's only ever been two genders or two, you know, one form of sexuality, whatever it is that we were taught or was normalized under colonialism for hundreds of years. But the reality is any indigenous culture you get back to, this is the way it's always been. And so I think this generation is talking about it more, which is a blessing. Um, but I don't think it's, I think it's just always been there and that many adults witnessing the generation can, you know, perhaps be inspired to go discover and relate to parts of themselves that weren't safe to know or even, you know, mm. witness inside themselves now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it can also be really triggering um, for people in conscious or unconscious ways where this these kind of conversations weren't normal, but I think they should have been. Oh my gosh. Yes. Beautiful answer. It's tapping me even like there's a deeper understanding I come to with like every layer of just like this human experience has always been like this time, like the teen time of of a being's life. You know, it's like a rite of passage, no matter how your yeah. gender identification. It's a major shift hormonally and the body changes and experiences of like desire and sexuality, experiences of seeing my yourself growing into an adult, like whether or not it was like Stone Age or, you know, on WhatsApp, doesn't matter. I mean, there there are obviously different indicators, but for the most part, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing we've <laughs> always been going through. And if there's anything now, we're just lacking that acknowledgement of it, the rite of passage, the honoring. And that's that's what you do, right? Is you're, you're bringing that outside of the school. You're bringing that back into existence for these for these teens. I'd, I'd love to know how you talk to them about periods because mm-hmm. I, it's such, it's such a hot topic, at least with my audience. There's such yeah. like a desire to go back to that story of that first period or that those days and talk about the trauma, talk about how, it, how you wish it would have gone or sort of like with motherhood too, like how there's, there's just like a desire to feel more honored, a desire to look at the body and and see what a miracle it was. But at the time, it was just like not seen that way. So much so that when I led a group to Ireland last year, I was with maybe 25 women on a sacred site, the Hill of Tara, and from ages like 25 to 70, and we were all given our first blood rites as maidens, once again, to relive that experience, to heal that, which was very powerful and very beautiful. Mm. So back to the question, like, how do you approach, it's not just periods, right? It's body change, what you're talking about. How do you approach that to bring, I think that level of honoring we are all actually craving? Oh, yeah. I love getting to teach about periods. It's really one of my like <laughs> favorite topics. I love it. I get um, it. I get it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And you're right. It's woven into all the other parts. So yes, I will teach, you know, workshops online in person um, that are 
devoted to periods, but of course I also weave in the wholeness. I think sometimes it's taught in separation. And so I, I can't talk about periods without talking about body image. I can't talk about periods without talking about vaginas and vulvas and, uh, pleasure and shame that's put on bodies in our culture. So I love how they get to be woven together. I can't talk about periods without talking about emotional intelligence and girl on girl, like mean girl culture, right? So Mm -hmm. when I teach about periods, it's woven in rather than isolated from those topics. So I think one of the things I'm most proud about is that girls love my period workshops because <laughs> we oh, were yeah. like, you know, which is a real win because I, let me tell you, I worked with, uh, you know, the first 13 years of my career, I worked with in the mother daughter relationship world, right? I ran a business and wrote a book with my mom and taught workshops for 13 years for mothers and their preteen and teenage girls. And so I've, fielded a lot of the the mother questions of of how do I, you know, how do I, I want to make it, I want to do this differently. I, I want to make this sacred for my girl. I want her to get it. Mm-hmm. I want her to get that her period like isn't a curse. I want her to really get that. And what I say again and again is learn to speak your daughter's language of celebration and connection. So you might have your language, which as an adult woman might look like a ritual surrounded by women, uh, by elders. And it's also learning to speak what lights the language of what lights your girl up. So what Mm. translates as celebration for her right now, it might look different than how you want it to look in your mind. Um, But it's not about you. Exactly. It's not (laughs) about you. Go have your own ritual the way you want it to look. Please do that. Do that first before you do hers. Mm -hmm. You, you know, go be initiated where you weren't met, where you weren't seen. And then, so you can truly right? From a uh, more healed, more centered place, do that for your girl in a way that honors her wildness, her freedom, her beauty, her uh, the wisdom that she's stepping into. And so I always call um, <laughs> my period workshops, I, I know my audience, uh, how to make your period not suck. So that's nice. that's what I teach. How to make your period not suck. Because that's what girls receive the messages. Oh, you know, even like I was saying, I wanted to be part of the period complaint society. That was like the cool girls in the bathroom complaining about cramps. I thought that was like the epitome of coolness. And totally. so Right. But then also there's the practical complaint where it's like, sure, I get that it's feminist to not hate my period. Maybe. Like maybe I got that message from my mom. Maybe it's talked about. But bottom line it sucks. It hurts. Like Mm. I, you know, if you're living with that physical reality, it can be really difficult as a teenage girl. And of course there's the full spectrum of experience, but it's like for a girl who's an athlete, it can feel disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. For a girl who has painful periods or a heavy, really heavy flow, it's like, what the heck is going on? And so what I teach girls and, you know, the the real core of what I get to is actually it's this overall approach that I do as with anything that makes it accessible. It really matters who <laughs> is giving the talk. Mm. So it matters who the voice is and who the mouthpiece is, you know, part of what I love about what you explore in belonging and with your work, Becca, is the severing from the old ways, you know, the severing from the ways that are 
are necessary and true and nourishing for our souls and our bodies and our human village. And so part of that is that for most of time, we lived in communal arrangements that were intergenerational. Mm -hmm. And we don't now. We are isolated into a grade system. School systems is are created based on I kid you not, military training. It was like, wow, let's look around and see where the best institution is that trains a large amount of people. Oh, soldiers. Great. Let's base it off the time schedule for soldiers. Makes sense. (laughs) We look at a lot of school systems, right? (laughs) You know, I have a friend who works at a... um, emergency psych ward for teens, you know, so she sees a a different extreme of working with a teenage population. So working with suicides and severe depression and during the school year, especially during winter, they have to open up double the amount of beds. They have to open up two whole facilities in her town. And then during the summer, they can barely fill, they barely fill half of one of the facilities. Uh-huh. And she was saying to me that her supervisors were scratching their heads being like, we don't know why that is. And she was like, really? You don't know why that is? <laughs> right. So anyways, this there's something wrong with our culture, right, in this disintergenerational disconnect, right, where also parents are left isolated to be everything for this teenage girl. And it's not supposed to be that way. You need support. You need community, whether that be big sisters, babysitters, aunties, cousins. Like we need this communal raising of a girl. And that when there's such a broad generational gap, there can also be literally a gap in communication. I mean, like literally talking slang. How many people have met a teen and you're like, what are you talking about? Talking Mm -hmm. means having sex. All right. Oh, yeah. She's talking to him. Right. Yeah, <laughs> who, who missed that? Everybody, okay. <laughs> there we go. So yeah, they're talking. Yeah, that's Got not it. just talking, right? Okay. So <laughs> pro tip. So the core of what I do and what I'm so deeply in devotion to is we need mentorship. We need intergenerational community, aka we need big siblings, big sisters who are bridging the gap between parents, adults, and between our brilliant, fierce, feisty, soft teens, where they look up the intergenerational ladder and love and are mentored by and respect the adults, teachers, elders, parents. And then the teens look up and go, oh my gosh, she is just so cool. (laughs) Right. And then the adult looks on and goes, wow, this young woman's amazing. I'm so glad that my girl has her in her life because that's actually as much as, you know, yes, I I'm happy to tell you literally what I say to girls. I couldn't give the script um, to a parent and promise it would land in the same way because I show up in my leggings and my baseball cap and my, you know, hoodie. And I start talking in a way that's real to me or my team of facilitators who are 18, 19, 23 start talking. And these girls feel seen and they feel heard. But what these girls are, 
you know, my, me and my facilitators are talking about is we're teaching about how the cycle is amazing, about resting and taking care of yourself on your bleed time. We're teaching about the patriarchy and mm-hmm. about the shame that is put on women and girls' bodies and why. We're talking about power. We're talking about the sacred number 13. We're talking about, you know, which tampons or pads or thinks and why the diva cup and why we're talking about fertility. We're talking about why don't girls talk about it? We're talking about shame in our culture. And what you see is these girls, they, they sit up, they, they perk up. They're like all in on these conversations about periods. And then they're tracking their cycles. They're aware of their fertile windows. They're um, asking for more support when they're on their bleed time because they know it's a time to go within and rest. I have one girl, I actually just this last month, it's pretty perfect timing because literally last month, one of my circles, the theme for the month was we were talking about cycling. So it's the month where I intensively, intensively teach about your period and about cyclical time and moving out of the trap of linear time. Mm. And it was just so beautiful because as our circle was closing, I was asking, all right, like, you know, I've been teaching them about all these phases. What uh, phase of the cycle right now is the hardest for you, right? Because sometimes certain ones we can be struggling with the lessons or the medicine of that phase of the cycle. And what do you need? Like, how can you support yourself more in that phase of the cycle? Because we're building cycle toolkits for each phase of the cycle. And I just loved one of the girls. She was like, well, it's my menstrual period. And she was saying, you know what I'm going to do to support? I want to honor, like like Eliza was talking about, I want to honor that it's like a magical time. I want to get witchy. I'm going to get Oracle cards and I'm going to get my journal because like I make the best decisions when I'm on my period. I'm like, this is a 15 year old girl, right? Like, yes, (laughs) my work is done here. Um, My work is just beginning here. So to me, if you're thinking about how do I talk to my girl about it, part of my nudge would be get support. Whether you are the support, like you are, you don't have a child and you're like, can be in that auntie role, that big sister role, um, almost irregardless of age, it can sometimes feel really good to talk to somebody who's not your parent or like, who do you love? Like always being on the lookout for mentors to bring in because I know that I stumbled luckily upon a few mentors when I was a teen, you know, I had like a, a camp counselor. I had a few teachers that I loved. But I think my mom was always looking a little bit, trying to find me those other adults that I could really look up to. But what we do at Badass Girls is we intentionally create those experiences. And that's what I do. Mm -hmm. I train mentors. I train girls who have been through my programs who then run their own circles and who live it authentically and messily and write like – instigate these conversations with girls because what I can promise is every teen girl in your life – is craving some form of this, whether she knows it or not. I mean, this is just a core longing. Even if she is crossing her arms and her resistance game is on point, there is a deep, deep, deep longing to be real, to stop faking it, to feel how she feels, to be seen, to feel met, and to actually I talk about it a lot in these terms, even though most people don't, to be in her body. I talk about embodiment as the answer to the epidemic of, quote unquote, epidemic of confidence in teenage girls, to the body image crisis is embodiment. It's coming back into the body and actually belonging to ourselves. Mm, Yeah, circling. 
I just keep coming back to like circling is going to save us all. Like just to not, to share the load. I feel like there's such pressure. I I call myself a pre-parent, not yet parent. And I, I can feel the urge in myself and, and, and hear it from parent friends, you know, to like, to, to be the best, most perfect parent, you know, to right all those wrongs or to make up for the ways, you know, we weren't parented in the ways we needed or, you know, and so there's this heavy pressure in this like nuclear family, post-industrial, modern capitalist, patriarchal society where we have to do it all. Uh, yeah. There's just too much pressure and we have to work and stuff, right? And have relationships and, you know, take care of ourselves. And so that's just too much pressure right off the bat for a parent, to to like provide the perfect experience for their for their teen, but it's like perfect doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Right. It's made and up. The medicine for us is the medicine for them because we're just you know us as as like maiden mothers, a little bit uh, like older in the spectrum in them as young maidens. Like we all need circles and we need circles together. And so I love I love that approach for you where you're like. I'm getting them in circles to be messy and to just talk. Whatever comes up, there's no like, this is the right way. It's like, can we hear yeah. every experience? Can we can we honor our own experience? I just think that's that truly is the way forward. And so many of us still have like these linear Western program minds. Of course we do. Yeah. We're just trying to find the 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 magic bullet. <laughs> it's just like no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I say to parents, because again, I've worked with parents a lot is, you know, first of all, if, if you're not perfect, congratulations, you're not, it's an illusion. It doesn't exist. Neither am I. Um, Then sweet relief. Your girl also gets to not be perfect. And trust me, she's receiving the message that she has to be perfect. And the other part is that I think I first got this this image from the amazing writer Courtney Martin's book Perfect Girls Starving Daughters, where which I read in my early twenties and just love Courtney's writing so much. Um, which she talks about the image of the swan as a metaphor for perfectionism and about what it's like to be a teenage girl where it's like you're supposed to be effortlessly perfect on the top, meaning like this beautiful gliding swan, you know, like effortlessly liked by everybody, effortlessly smart, effortlessly sexy, but not too sexy because then you're a slut, you know, just like effortlessly perfectly towing the line in every possible way. But then underneath the water, the legs are just like furiously paddling away, right? Mm -hmm. And that that is the experience of so many teen girls. And I know like I can certainly relate to that as an adult. Like, oh my God, my teenage years, like, please, I just want everyone to like me. I was so comfortable with, you know, other people's anger or emotions because guess what? I was uncomfortable with my own. Um, There wasn't really a place that could hold that or meet that. Um, And so one of the things I say is don't, to parents lovingly, is don't raise swans, raise phoenixes. There will be fire. (laughs) There will be pain. And I know it's going to hurt because you love your girl more than life itself. I mean, I know how much you love her. And she's going to dance through fire. There's going to be heartbreak. There's going to be adventure. There's going to be epic highs and low lows and walk through it with her. 
Um, this includes moments where she judges her body. This includes moments where she has sex. Yes, she's going to have sex. And hopefully it's going to be great <laughs> and you can support her and celebrate her in owning that her body has desires and that pleasure is beautiful and isn't just about sex and that mm. consent is necessary and wonderful. But rather than the goal of protecting your girl from pain or having, you know, getting it all right, doing it all, you know, differently, think about how your own life has taught you alchemy, has taught you cycles has taught you circles and she too is going to do that dance and how freaking lucky that she's got you you know so many times parents and adults are like told to steer clear back off she doesn't want you she doesn't need you during the teenage years adults are lame oh my gosh she needs you more than ever teens mm. need adults they need attuned relational adults desperately desperately who better to hold her hand, to have her back as she is exploring pleasure and exploring her cycle and exploring her changing body than her mom or her parent. Like truly, if adults can get with it to know how to hold this space for teens, that's exactly what teens need. Hmm. Okay. Have you heard of this show called Pen15? No. Tell me. Okay. You and everyone, listen up. <laughs> pen 15, like penis, like we, you would secretly write the word penis in school with the word pen 15. Yep. Okay. So it's a show on Hulu. It's by two incredible 30 something filmmakers. And it's about middle school. So it's about like seventh grade when you're about 12, 13. And um, it's shot with the whole cast is middle schoolers. And then the two stars are like 30 somethings, but they make them look like middle schoolers. And basically the entire, oh it's one season so far, but they're filming season two. It's beautifully written and it's, it's gorgeously acted because it's just like somehow these incredible performers have been able to go back in time and perfectly share their experiences uh, with everything, with uh, with their periods. One gets their period before the other one does. With uh, <laughs> with <laughs> when you're like going out with someone and they're your boyfriend, but like that means like maybe you held hands once or like whatever. It's obviously a spectrum. Uh, but my favorite one is when uh, one of the characters discovers sexual desire and discovers masturbation. And, and like, I, I think it's, it's a gift. This, this episode is a gift for so many that were like taught shame or, you know, whatever it is around masturbation, particularly girls. And th this episode is just very good where she just like discovers it, is confused by it, then is obsessed with it, then feels <laughs> shame. And then she decides she's going to do it every once in a while. It's pretty cool. And she wants to like tell the people about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's, god it's so it's the full arc anyways so I'm i just so want to that exists make a note pen 15 on hulu is very 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 good um as you can imagine i talk about self-pleasure a lot <laughs> with teens and preteens that's what i wanted to ask because um it feels like it's still like a taboo and with adult women like self-pleasure solo sex masturbation and just like the sex conversation because I find there's like 
an overtone, like even just like we're talking or like they hooked up, like there's sort of status that happens, but then underneath it, it's like so tender. And, you know, there's like conversations about consent and all this stuff. And so I'm wondering how you approach that and pleasure. Yeah. 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 So the way that I approach it is by talking about it all of the time. Um, because I think we have to normalize conversations um, because that which we make secret becomes shameful. Um, I do believe in privacy. Oh my gosh, I love privacy. And a lot of this is, it's it's private, it's intimate. And some of the best advice I've ever gotten, and I will happily repeat it to all the adults, is rather than having the one big talk about sex or about self-pleasure, like, okay, did you do the birds and the bees talk? How'd it go? Is to instead have lots of little conversations all of the time, right? So it's just woven into, yeah, this is part of life, right? Whether it's like just, oh, no, like you're watching a TV show where something happens because guess what? You're watching a TV show. Something's always going to happen now, right? You know, like, whoa, he said that about her or did you see that? Or what did you think about that? You know, like keeping it part of the conversation in these little doses, right? So that it's part of the everyday. And so, Yes, I have specific classes where as part of my my deep dive programs or where we talk about consent and self-pleasure, but also kind of just spattered throughout when I'm teaching, um, like, you know, 90, probably not my like intro one-on-one class, but everything passed there. I will just like, oh, you know, if it comes up the word vagina, guess what? I'm going to clarify the difference between vulva and vagina while talking about it because a lot of people don't know that. And then, you know, I will just drop in or mention something about the clitoris or like just like facts like the nerve endings in the clitoris or I'll drop in about the, did you notice the paradoxical duality of like, uh, you know, often within the, the gender binary here, but that, you know, what boys and men are celebrated or cheered on for, what's sexual sex culture for boys and men versus what is talked about or expected of girls and women, right? So just those little hooks where they begin to become aware of and then they begin to, I name a pattern, they start to notice the pattern, they start to observe it and we begin talking about it. So I really want to acknowledge that when as adults we're having this conversation about talking about pleasure and self-pleasure and then even that leads into talking about sex, intimacy, consent, virginity, a lot of these words and concepts that many, I would even say perhaps even most adults have some kind of trauma around their mm-hmm. early sexual experiences. And this is yes. on a full spectrum, right? Sex ed was probably traumatizing for most people, meaning what you learned, didn't learn, what was taught, um, what was centered in sex ed, right? You know, I went, you know, I'm 29. I went to a pretty cool, like kind of liberal high school where we had sex ed, where they talked about sex and protection. I think Planned Parenthood came in and led it. So like really seemed like the best of the best. And still sex ed was pretty much how to not get pregnant, Mm -hmm. right? I learned that my fertility was actually pretty scary. The way I learned about oral sex was through dental dams. 
Yes. Right. Like, so rather than, <laughs> right. So it's like, yes, we do need to teach about, you know, STDs and uh, safety and just the interaction of bodily fluids. Yes. Biology. And can you see when we start with talking about protection, we're also teaching from a place of fear and yeah honoring that as a society, as a culture, we have so much collective trauma around this, that we're in a trauma spell, a trauma vortex around even not knowing. We go into freeze around not talking or how to talk about it, or we get into fight mode, which would be so pissed, right? If you've experienced, which, you know, listening, you know, any of us, right? We've experienced intimacy. That experience was like a, a boundary violation in any way on the spectrum, which can also be, you know, like retrospectively, like, wow, yeah, I didn't say yes. Like I didn't say no, but I didn't say yes either, right? It wasn't enthusiastic consent or whatever, like before, you know, in, in, what can be kind of confusing or messy teenage sexual ex- explorations and experiences, then we can get understandably really triggered and pissed off and come to a place of talking about this beautiful teenage emergence of sexuality from a place of, I need to make sure that this assault never happens again, right? Mm-hmm. In like this fierce and, and oh my God, that is so needed, right? It's such an important part of the conversation. And my invitation would be to give that medicine to yourself, right? As well as like to start with, you know, and I've had to as well. Unfortunately, I've had experiences and that's really something that I've had to be with is going for my own healing so that I can come to these conversations with teens with tenderness and reverence and celebration of uh, these emerging whole sexual selves and step out of the binary of basically that self-pleasure or sex um, or pleasure in the body is a sin. Mm-hmm. And even for those of us who uh, weren't raised religious or have, don't practice any form of religion that includes that teaching, I feel like we're still doused in a cultural reality that basically holds it as that, especially for girls, that it is somehow shameful, secretive, instead of normal, fun, (laughs) amazing, and such a wonderful part of embodiment. You know, uh, one of the things I'll often ask moms, which they're not expecting when I'm teaching them about sex ed is, wouldn't you wish on your girl, like think about the best sex in your life, like the best sex, all right, like like universe-shaking orgasms, like the best, okay? Wouldn't you wish that on your girl? Like, don't mm-hmm. you, like, yeah, <laughs> right. wouldn't you wish, like, the best sex ever? And yes, there's a timing and a pacing and maturity and development. But what we know again and again is that the more that teens know, the more they know, the more body literate they are, the more there's conversations, open, real conversations about consent and intimacy and pleasure, actually, statistically, the longer teens wait to become sexually active, right? Mm. That's, you know, not that everyone should wait. You know, I think there's right timing for everybody in different times or all get to be different. That's wonderful. But statistically, they wait. Because it isn't like an act of rebellion and there isn't profound lack of clarity. There's like, oh, I know what that is. I know, you know, I believe that for a teenage girl to uh, know her no in her body, meaning no, I don't want that. No, don't touch me there. No, I'm not interested. No, don't say that to me. 
she actually, I believe for the no to be the clearest, she also has to know her yes. I agree. (laughs) Yes. Touch me there. Yes, I want that. Yes, that feels good. Which to circle back to self-pleasure, as we as adult women know, that's where it starts. You know, no two bodies are the same. And so I will actively, you know, say that to my older teen girls who are sexually active or who are exploring this is like, if you want to have amazing sex, start by knowing yourself. Like you are the gatekeeper, you are the guide to your body, right? And we talk about communication. We talk about the cues in your body, what yes feels like, what no feels like, what are the patterns of arousal, all these things that uh, we as adult women um, who are on personal healing journeys of discovery and embodiment and belonging, I think many of us have learned that later in life. And I'm like, hey, we know these things. What if the teenage girls, right, didn't have to lose themselves and then in womanhood go back to retrieve themselves? What if they never lost themselves? What if the body stayed, yes, in a complex alchemical dance, but yes, stayed as home? Um, and that pleasure and you know, uh, rather than talking about first sexual intimacy as quote unquote loss of virginity, which is made up, virginity is made up, it's an illusion, it's not real, is mm-hmm. it's actually, I frame it as awakening to wholeness. It's a part of yourself that is coming to maturity and that that is a blossoming and exciting and a blessing and to be, and to be treated with with reverence, slowness, respect, support, you know, just as, you know, other parts of our maturing is. Oh, I'm just so happy you're doing this work in the world. (laughs) (laughs) You're so relieved. I'm, I'm, throughout listening to you, and I'm sure this is happening for listeners as well. Like I'm, I'm having flashbacks (laughs) into my, parts of my life. And I remember when I was 15, I was getting like driving lessons to get my learner's mm-hmm. permit. And the the girl, woman, young woman, who was my driver's teacher, she was like maybe like 21. And she was one of my mentors, Eliza. So we were just driving mm-hmm. around. And I think she was trying to like get me to calm down because I was like, <laughs> like forehead yeah. <laughs> just like aggressively intense and she so she just goes I remember she was just like so you having sex <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and I was like no I don't know if I'm ready and I remember she just like oh she was so cool she's like Hispanic and she she's just like listen babe if you want to have sex you got to get comfortable with being naked. Have you stood in front of the mirror and looked at your beautiful body naked? <laughs> and it yes. was like, and I, and I looked at her and I was like, I'm definitely not ready for sex. <laughs> right. right. She's like, <laughs> Practice your turns and <laughs> yes. be naked. Aww. Well, this is mentorship, right? This is the, what's possible because here's the thing. Teens are talking about all of these things. They are thinking about all of these things. And if adults aren't talking about them with it, they're the only ones who aren't because everybody else is. It's on, you know, like the statistics around porn is most teens sex ed and preteens, right? They're more Mm. likely to see that, right? right? And we're here being like, I don't know if they're ready to talk about it. Talk about it. It's there, you know? And so that's what also the part that I love about mentorship. And even that is right. Like that positive mentorship model is a, she's like nudging you. She's using phrases like your beautiful body. Love that. Um, Is that, you know, 
what I love so much about the gift of getting to do the work that I do, because really it's like such an extraordinary honor to like, you know, be at any moment when being in circle, but like these precious girls' hearts, it's just like the most profound gift is facilitating peer discussion and community where there's actually a mentor and adult present. Meaning I am going to model and teach values that they're still learning, which is appropriate that they're still learning because they're teenagers. And, you know, developmentally, it's appropriate that they haven't quite learned sometimes what to do with an overwhelming feeling or how to not turn it on somebody else, you know, and get gossipy or whatever, right? Is I'm modeling and teaching like, you know, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Like we create community guidelines together. We talk about girl on girl violence and culture. You know, we talk about shaming other girls and the language we use. And so what that means is we're having these real conversations, but I'm, and me and my team, whoever's running it is going to make sure that the, the language that we use is, is kind and respectful, right? That we're not going to, in our own insecurity, try and take somebody else down. And we'll talk about that, right? We'll talk yeah. about what to do with overwhelming feelings. And this is where I think we see the most dangerous parts of teen culture, kind of like the underbelly, the worst case scenario that everybody talks out about teens. This is when adults have metaphorically and literally left the room. We uh. as adults cannot leave our teens alone, even if they ask us to. This doesn't mean, yes, like I'm all for independence. I'm also for healthy dependence. This is relational. This is attachment. Teens need healthy mentors and adults. They need to know that they matter. They need models and integrity to be taught and valued. They're also teachers. Teens are oracles, right? It's why one of the reasons we can be so triggered by them is they kick up these beautiful parts of ourselves that maybe have gone dormant, you know, since the teenage years. They're, the teenage brain is amazing. We're often taught about its limitations. Um, it's also profoundly creative. It's one of the most flexible brains in existence, you know? It's like, the solutions that the teenage brain can come up with, um, we need that. You know, we often talk about like, oh, people will say like, you know, mourning the loss of innocence with, you know, for example, the loss of virginity, or I can't believe I'm so sad my girl's growing up, you know, and um, I actually, well, you know, bullshit on part of that. Um, But I think innocence isn't something that we lose during the teenage years. Uh, We live in a culture that pushes us to lose our relationship to wonder and awe and tenderheartedness and belonging and interconnectedness and magic. And that's innocence to me. I think innocence is one of my deepest core values as an adult. Mm -hmm. And we get to choose to leave that behind. And I kind of say to my girls, it's like, you never have to leave that. Yeah. Awakening to your sensuality and your body doesn't mean you're losing anything. It's all of you plus some. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh my gosh, Eliza, you just uh, gave us so much to mm. integrate and work with and share. And I just really see a lot of beautiful conversations, the ripple effect of our conversation being more conversations in, you know, in person, in real life, people being like, oh, there's there's different ways to do this. And I'm just so grateful to you and your work and your expertise and your passion for 
team girls. It's just so, so needed in this world. So how can people find you in these amazing classes and circles? You're doing? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, you can come find me and all the things we do at badassgirls.me.me. And we, gosh, we do a lot online. So wherever you are, your girl can join a mentorship circle. She can join one of our courses. She can also come to one of our retreats. Our retreats are on the East Coast of the US, mostly in Southern Vermont or Western Mass, where we get girls off their phones and into their bodies and into nature and into community. I want to come. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have a lot of mutual friends. Who's it? Sarah, who is like, yeah. next time I'm going to come and be song captain. I was like, okay, honey. <laughs> oh so my come tell gosh. me what you want to teach. You're in. <laughs> oh, great. You're creating such a powerful movement. Thank you again for joining me here. Mm, thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.